Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. I hope you have your Bibles with you or some type of device where you can get to the Word of God. Uh, because we are going to be flipping pages um, as we continue our worship by studying God's holy word. So with that being said, let us go ahead and pray. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your presence. You are here with those of us who are in this sanctuary tonight. You are there with those who are on the other side of this camera, viewing and listening on Facebook Live. We thank you for them, Lord. Help us to sense your presence like never before, especially, Lord, in these trying times. I pray, Father, that you would open up our understanding. I pray that you give us fresh insight into your word. I pray most of all that you help us to take what we hear, what we learn, and apply it to our lives. And we ask for this help by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit tonight. I pray for the gift of teaching, and I pray that your word will go forth and not return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so our study tonight uh, takes us to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. And the title of tonight's lesson is Overcoming Temptation. Overcoming Temptation. Temptation. Now, people in the world today use temptation or the word tempt in different ways, in different contexts. So for the person who is on a strict diet, for example, they may say that a chocolate cake is their temptation. They're, they're trying to stick to the strict diet. They're trying to eat healthy a bunch of vegetables and fruit and so forth, drinking a lot of water. But for them, maybe that chocolate cake is a temptation. But what about the person who has a plan to work out consistently? That person who likes to lift weights, that person who's getting in shape and they're starting to see some good results. And so for that person sleeping in, Instead of going to the gym, sleeping in instead of going for a jog or a run in the neighborhood or maybe around the track, perhaps for them is a temptation. It's tempting for them to stay in bed instead of working out. Or how about the student? I know that there are students who are maybe listening to this and many of you are homeschooled at this time. Some of you were homeschooled before the coronavirus outbreak, and some of you are forced to be homeschooled at this time. And so there's homework to be done. There's projects to be done. You have tests and quiz and some type of assessment to get done. And you know you should get it done out there, student, but those video games are calling. Those toys are calling. That cell phone, talking to your friend, on, on, on FaceTime or whatever the case is, that is tempting. That's a temptation for you. So in different contexts, we use the word tempt or temptation. And while those temptations in those types of situations may be true, may be real, just want to share with you tonight, there is a more serious meaning and use of the word temptation. And so temptation in the context of tonight's study is a solicitation to sin or to do evil. In other words, it's a persuasion to sin. It's a lure to sin or to do evil. And so that's the way we're using the word temptation tonight. And what we're going to do is see how to overcome it. We're going to see how we can win against those temptations that come into our lives, that persuasion to sin. And and we could be tempted by our sin nature. We all have a sin nature that wants to do those things that are against what God wants us to do. We could also be tempted by the world. 
those things again that are in rebellion against God. And so the world may tempt us, may have some things that are appealing to us, that look good to us. So we have to fight against that. We want to know how to win against those temptations. And of course, we talk about the enemy all the time. The enemy in a spiritual sense is Satan, the devil. And with him, he has an army. Those are fallen angels that we call demons. And so in tonight's study, we're going to talk about how to overcome temptations, how to win against those temptations that we all face. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, the word of God says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And it says he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, if you remember the last study, this John is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. So if you look at verse 9, just want to show you something. Because in, in the other synoptic gospels, in, in Matthew chapter 3 and in Luke chapter 3, we learn a little bit more about the baptism of Jesus. And so in between the word Galilee in verse 9 and the phrase and was baptized in between there, if we look in Matthew's account, it tells us that John the Baptist tried to prevent or stop Jesus from getting baptized in water by him because he felt that Jesus should have been baptizing him. And that's because John's water baptism was a baptism of repentance. In other words, people repented of their sin, turned towards God. And as a sign of that, they were baptized in water by John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, in seeing Jesus, the Son of God, come to him to be baptized by him in the Jordan River, it was like, no, I don't want to do this because you have no sins to repent of. And, and I'm just paraphrasing. And so Jesus in Matthew 3.15 says something. And so this is why we re- want to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We want to read all of it, not take different parts of it out of context. And so when we look at Matthew 3.15, we see what Jesus said to John the Baptist when John the Baptist tried to stop him from getting baptized. It says, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, that is John the Baptist, allowed Jesus to be baptized. But now, what did Jesus mean by that? What did Jesus mean when he says, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness? So uh, allow this water baptism to be so now. Allow it to take place. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, it was a part of God's plan for him to be baptized in water by John the Baptist, who I revealed in the last study is actually Jesus's relative. You see, Jesus, in wanting to fulfill all righteousness, he was not going to skip any part of God's plan. He was not going to skip any parts of God's requirements, And so in getting baptized by John the Baptist, a couple things were taking place. The first thing that was taking place is that Jesus was identifying with the sinners. He was identifying with the sinners that he was coming to die for. And so that's the first thing we need to remember about Jesus being baptized in water by John the Baptist. Another thing that we need to remember about what it means to fulfill our righteousness by Jesus getting baptized, is that this water baptism actually served as a picture of what Jesus came to do. You see, Jesus came to die for the sins of sinful humanity who cannot save themselves, who cannot do enough good works to earn their way into heaven. 
And so he came to die for people. And so him going under the water was a picture of that death and a picture of him being buried, being in that grave. And of course, him coming up out of the water was a picture of that future resurrection. And without the resurrection, without Jesus being raised, as it tells us in Romans, then there is no justification because he was raised for our justification. And justification is a big word that means to be declared righteous. So if Jesus doesn't die for our sins, was buried, and if he weren't raised again, then there's no way that sinful humanity would have a chance to be declared righteous. In other words, to have a right standing with God. That is to be justified. That's the only way we can have a relationship with God because our sins separate us from our heavenly father. But Jesus, of course, is that bridge And that water baptism was a picture of what he would come to do. So that's the second thing of of the importance of the water baptism that Jesus went through. That's also, uh, again, it tells us what it means to fulfill all righteousness. And so remember what I mentioned earlier, how John the Baptist wanted to stop Jesus from getting baptized. Remember that. He wanted to prevent him. Although it was something Jesus wanted to do and Jesus had to do. And that reminds us of a question, reminds me of a question to pose to you and to myself also. And the question is, is there anything God wants us to do for him that we may be fighting against? Just like John the Baptist initially fought against baptizing Jesus, what are we fighting against? There's something God wants us to do. Are we listening? Are we ready to move? Are we ready to obey? In Mark 1 verse 10, just moving on in in tonight's study, it says, and immediately, remember in our first study that the word immediately and words like it are mentioned a lot in in this gospel according to Mark because it's, it's a gospel of action, talking about the actions of this servant, the servant Jesus. He was a man of action. And so again, you see these words. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, descending or coming upon him like a dove. Now, if you read Luke chapter 3, verse 22, it says, descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, that is upon Jesus. Now, another detail that Luke mentions in the gospel, according to Luke, is that the heaven parted while Jesus prayed. So Jesus, remember that, was a man of prayer, fully God, fully man. And as as a human, he prayed. He relied upon his father. Now, in the gospel, according to John, Again, we want to look at the Bible as a whole. John the Baptist actually testified that the Father, that God the Father, the one who sent him to baptize, actually gave him a sign that would help him to identify Jesus. A sign that would help him to identify the one who has come to baptize people, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And that is in John chapter 1, verse 33, if you want to jot it down. And so the sign that God the Father gave to John the Baptist is that whoever the Holy Spirit descends, comes down on and remains upon, that is the one with the capital O, that is the son of God. And so John the Baptist paid attention to the clues. He understood Jesus to be that lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He understood Jesus to be the Christ or the Messiah, understood him to be God, the son, the eternal God in the flesh. And so he paid attention to the clues. And and as we read the scriptures, we see that God has left us many clues about who Jesus is. The question is, 
Have we paid attention to those clues? Have we paid attention to the miracles? Have we paid attention to the fact that he lived a a sinless life? That he wasn't sinful like the rest of us, humanity, but he was sinless, perfect humanity in Jesus Christ. Have we paid attention to that? That, that, that Mary was a virgin. And so that conception was a virgin conception. And so he had no human father who would pass on that sin nature. And so human nature is what Jesus had. True. Sin nature? No, he did not have that. He only had human nature. And so he left us many clues in the scripture about who he is. Have we paid attention to the clues? Are we just saying that he was just a good man? That he was just a prophet? That he was just a good teacher? Are we paying attention to the fact that this is God in the flesh and he is worthy of our praise? He is worthy of our worship. In verse 11, still in Mark chapter 1, it says, Then a voice came from heaven. And the voice said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, in whom I take great delight. And so in these verses, for those who like to fight against the concept or the doctrine of the Trinity, that the Godhead is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit right here is hard to fight against it because you see All three persons of the Trinity here at the water baptism of Jesus. You see Jesus, God the Son, being baptized. You hear the voice of God the Father saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then, of course, we remember the Holy Spirit coming down and landing upon Jesus and remaining in the form of a dove. So you three, see all three here, all three members of the Trinity right here. It's hard to fight against this doctrine if we take the Bible for what it is, for what it says. In verses 12 and 13, God's word again says immediately, there's our word. It's a fast moving book, a book of action, talking about a man, capital M, Jesus of action, a man of action. So immediately the spirit, the Holy Spirit drove, he sent or compelled Jesus into the wilderness. And Jesus was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was tempted to do evil. In other words, the devil tried to persuade Jesus to sin. Now that name Satan, by the way, means adversary adversary and that's who satan is to us he's our adversary he's our enemy he stands against us those of us who are saved those of us who are in christ and jesus continuing in mark 1 verse 13 was with the wild beasts or the animals and the angels ministered to him they took care of him And so we see in these verses that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness with the wild animals to be tempted by the devil. And devil, by the way, means slanderer. He likes to accuse us believers before God. I can't believe you you consider that people to have those people to have a right standing with you. Look at what he is doing. Look at what she is doing. As a matter of fact, look at what they've done. Look at what they've used to be. And so he slanders us before God. And so devil means slanderer and Satan, that name again means adversary. And so he was tempted, that is, Jesus was tempted by the devil, the slanderer, for 40 days. And now during that 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted. And so what we want to do here to get more details about Jesus's temptation is turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And so we're going to, again, read more information about his temptation, specifically after 
those 40 days of fasting, of him uh, pushing away from food, of him not eating. And so in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, came to Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we're on Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Verse 5 now, then the devil took him up into the holy city that is in Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Okay, Jesus, since you want to quote scripture, I got some scripture for you. He shall give his angels charge over you. So now Satan is quoting scripture and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone jesus said to him it is written again you shall not tempt the lord your god again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory or their splendor and he said that is satan said to jesus all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And so Satan here of course, it's called the tempter, as you see there in Matthew chapter four, verse three, because, of course, he tempts people. He he solicits people to sin. He tries to persuade people to do evil, those things that are against the will of God. Now, when we look in Matthew uh, four, verse three, Satan says, if you are the son of God, do this. Command that these stones become bread because Jesus at this point, of course, is hungry. He's, he's starving. And so I want to share with you that the word if in that statement, if you are the son of God, is actually better understood as since. So since you are the word or the son of God, and he is the word of God, but since you are the son of God, He wanted him to turn those stones into bread. Since you are God, the son, you're starving. Use your powers. Turn these stones into some bread and and feed yourself. And so what he wanted Jesus to do essentially is use his power to benefit himself. And if Jesus would have obeyed him, then, then Jesus would have, of course, disobeyed God the Father. Because Jesus, being the eternal God in human flesh, he willingly and temporar- temporarily, what he did is he didn't get rid of his divine attributes. What he did was, was willingly give up or voluntarily give up the, the um, independent use of his attributes apart from the will of the Father. And so he was only going to use those divine attributes and, and his divine power according to God the Father's will. So temporarily said, okay, I didn't totally get rid of the attributes. I, I didn't totally set them aside. But I'm going to volunteer to be humble and submit to you, Father. I'm going to volunteer to, to, to enjoy, to experience the fullness of humanity. And so if Jesus would have obeyed Satan and turning those stones into bread, he would have given in to him. And then he would have, again, use his powers apart from God's will. 
just to clarify that. And that's something there for us in temptation. Because sometimes we're tempted to do things outside of the will of God. Instead of waiting on God for a need. Instead of waiting on God to provide for us. And God knows those needs before we even ask. We try to satisfy those needs ourselves. And so we may say, well, I know I could get it this way or that way. I know God wants me to wait on him, but God is taking too long. And the enemy is tempting me. And you don't know it's the enemy tempting you. But he's making a suggestion to you. Well, go about it this way to get your need. Don't even realize where those suggestions are coming from. Where that persuasion is coming from. And so some of us, we we give in to that temptation to do things outside of the will of God. Just to satisfy our own needs. Instead of depending on God the Father. And so for example, we know that income, money is necessary to pay bills and to buy food and things like that. And so instead of us depending on God, praying to God for an open door for a job to provide us with a job. There's some people who instead try to go about things the illegal way, lying on taxes and things like that, just to get a few more dollars. Giving in to the temptation of the enemy. Exactly what he did to Jesus in the wilderness. But Jesus never succumbed to that because he was sinless and still is sinless. But we give in to our sin nature. We give in to the temptations of the world. We give in to the devil and demons. And as I mentioned, the temptation of the devil, I don't mean to say that the devil or Satan can be everywhere at the same time. He is not omnipresent. That is reserved for God. But he has many in his army, many fallen angels on his side. And so when you hear me say tempted by the devil, it's not always the Satan, just him, just one-on-one with us. It could be one of his demons. But as you look at the second temptation here in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus being tempted by the devil to jump off the pinnacle at this high point of the temple in order to see if God's angel will catch him and, and hold him up unless he would dash his foot against a stone. And so the enemy tried to tempt Jesus to do that. Go ahead and jump from this temple, from this highest point. It says in the word that, and this is the devil speaking, that the angels, they're going to hold you up. They're not going to allow you to hit your foot against a stone. And so we see that there in the second temptation after that 40 days of fasting. And sometimes the the enemy may, may tempt us to do the same thing. Maybe not to jump from the pinnacle of a temple, from this high point. Or maybe he won't tempt us to jump from a roof. Maybe he'll tempt us to take some other unnecessary risk. For example, some people may read in the Bible that, oh, God is our protector. So guess what? I can drive as fast and as recklessly as I want to because God is going to protect me. There's even some people, even with this coronavirus, like I said, there's one thing to have faith that God is going to protect you. And then there's another thing to, to tempt God by touching everything and licking your fingers on purpose. I'm just going to touch this doorknob. I don't know if the germs is on there. I don't know if the virus is on there, but you know what? God is going to protect me. So I'm going to test God and I'm going to touch it and lick my fingers and show everybody that is, that is fine. Then they end up getting sick. Okay. So we don't want to tempt God in that way. And, and a lot of people try to tempt God. They give into that temptation of the enemy. And so we want to stick to what the scriptures say. So don't take those unnecessary risks that the enemy is trying to lure you into taking. But a third temptation that we see here in Matthew chapter 4 is that the devil offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give all of these kingdoms to you. He took them up to an exceedingly high mountain. All these kingdoms of the world that you see in all their splendor, I'll give it to you, Jesus. 
All you need to do, all you have to do is bow down to me and, and worship me. So really what the devil was doing in this temptation is, was offering a shortcut to Jesus. Jesus, instead of going to the cross to die for the sins of the world, of sinful humanity, here's a shortcut. Why don't you just go ahead and take these kingdoms now in all of their splendor? Why don't you go ahead and take them now? You can bypass the cross. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And so this is that third temptation after those 40 days and 40 nights of fasting for Jesus in the wilderness. And so in God's order, in God's plan, Jesus was to come first in the first coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So the first time he was to come as the Lamb, the suffering servant. And the second time he would come back and will come back visibly on the earth and he will set up his kingdom as the lion from the tribe of Judah. As the conquering king, he's going to come back the second time and he's going to take over the kingdoms of the world. They're all going to become his. But again, Satan was offering him that shortcut. You don't have to be the lamb right now. Just be the conquering king. Be the lamb from the tribe of Judah right now. But how could Satan offer these kingdoms to Jesus? Well, if you look at Luke chapter 4, verse 6, you want to write that down or turn there or swipe there if you have your device in front of you. Luke 4, 6 says, And the devil said to Jesus, All this authority I will give you and their glory. And he says, For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. You see that phrase there? For this has been delivered to me. So that's how Satan can say what he said, that I'll, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. And notice Jesus didn't dispute it because it was delivered to him. When? Well, if you remember in Genesis, the dominion of the earth was, was given to man to rule over. Man was to rule or have dominion over the earth, over the animals. The sea creatures, everything. And so when man, when Adam disobeyed God and he gave in to temptation, when he and Eve gave in to the temptation of the enemy, you see, Eve was deceived. Adam was flat out disobedient and he was the representative of the human race. And so what happened there when he sinned is that the authority of the earth was handed over to Satan. And so that's why Satan can say in Luke 4 verse 6, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. And that's why he can offer Jesus a shortcut. Hey, go ahead and take the kingdoms now. I know your plan is to do this later. Don't go to the cross. You don't have to do that. And so in the scriptures, uh, Satan is actually mentioned as the ruler of this world. He oversees, he influences this world system. The world system gets its ways from Satan, its ruler, its prince. And even in another scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's called the little g, God of this age. And so here in this third temptation of Christ, the enemy tries to Get Jesus to take a shortcut to what God wanted him to do. And guess what? The enemy, the devil, Satan, he tries to get us to take shortcuts as well. For example, God created marriage for one man and one woman. And sex is to be enjoyed within that marriage context. But some people want the enjoyment of sex. In other words, they want the shortcut to marriage by having sex outside of marriage. And Satan tempts us with many other things, many other shortcuts to the plan of God. And if we are in the will and the plan of God for our lives, you will experience God's best. We cannot experience his best if we are outside of his will, if we're trying to take shortcuts, if we're falling into that temptation that he tried to get Jesus to fall into in that third temptation there after those 40 days. But getting back to Matthew 4, 
verse 11. After the temptation, there's something interesting that is said. It says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And so the angels came and they helped Jesus. And we're thinking or different Bible scholars believe that one way they ministered to him or helped him is provided food for him. And so in essence, they were actually ministering or helping their creator. Jesus is God. He is the angel's creator as well as the creator of the universe, the earth and everything in it. And so they were helping out their creator who was in a a human form, who was in a human body. But the scriptures tell us that angels also minister to the saints. That is for believers, people who repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you can take a look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 in support of this. Because in speaking of angels... There's a question that is asked in Hebrews 1.14, and it says, Are they, speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so God uses those angels to help us also. So that's an awesome thing that we have all this help. And so when we talk about the temptations that the enemy brings to us as people, I want to share something with you in the word of God. And it's in 1 John chapter 2. And if you read 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16, we will see that the enemy's temptation, that persuasion to sin will usually fall in one of the following three areas. And so in 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16, it says, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. And the world meaning the world system. That system that is rebellious against God. Led by Satan of course. And continuing in 1 John 2 15 it says. If anyone loves the world. This world system led by Satan. That is rebellious against God. Then the love of the father. That is God the father is not in that individual. And in 1 John 2 16 it says. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so this world system or its way of doing things is, again, influenced by the devil or Satan. Therefore, it cannot be of the Father. And so in those verses, once again, we see that the enemy's temptation usually fall in one of those three areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And so sometimes he tempts us by appealing, first of all, to the lust of the flesh, that is of the body. For example, during Satan's temptation of Eve to to get her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he appealed to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the body, because Eve saw that the tree was good for food in Genesis 3, 6. And here in our lesson tonight, as you saw in Matthew chapter 4, Satan tried to tempt Jesus with food, trying to appeal to the lust of the flesh, of the body. And so that's one of the categories. The other categories, just to focus on the second one here, is the lust of our eyes. And so Satan, again, tries to tempt people by appealing to the lust of our eyes. And again, in Genesis 3, 6, if we want to see the temptation of Eve there, as Satan tried to tempt her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. And then in our lesson tonight in Matthew chapter 4, as we read those scriptures in detail about the temptation of Christ, you see there Satan showed the kingdoms of the world and he showed their splendor to Jesus, tried to appeal to the lust of the eyes. But just to clarify one thing, Jesus' temptation was not based on anything on the inside of him. Because remember, he had no sin nature. But all of the temptations of Christ came from the outside. Just to clarify that. But then looking at that third category of temptation, 
He tries to tempt people by appealing to the pride of life. In Genesis 3, 6, Eve saw that it was a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. And, and here in Matthew chapter 4, in that detailed account of the temptation of Christ, we see that Satan wanted Jesus to show off, again, the pride of life, to make himself look good or superior. Show off, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, and the angels will catch him or catch you, Jesus And so those are the three categories of the enemy's temptation. But what we also see in these verses is the recycled schemes of the devil to try to persuade people to sin. One thing that the enemy will try to do to persuade us to sin, to to lure us through the lust of the flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life, is that he'll twist scriptures. Just like he did when he quoted from Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. And he quoted those in in Matthew 4, uh, verses 5 and 6 in that situation there. And notice as you read Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, he twisted the meaning. He left out some words there. And so he's still using those schemes to try to get people to sin through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and appealing to the pride of life. And so he twists scriptures. And he also suggests things that look good on the outside and they may look innocent on the surface. For example, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to eat. There's nothing wrong with Jesus eating. And so it looked innocent, but there was something wrong with Jesus not depending on the Father, but instead giving in to that temptation to the enemy and obeying the enemy, Satan. There's nothing wrong with Jesus reigning over the kingdoms of the world because that's going to happen anyway. But there's a problem with Jesus bypassing the cross and bypassing the will of God. And so as temptation or as believers, those temptations that Jesus faced, those temptations are something that we face as well. And guess what? It's like, it's like fishing. And and one thing that I that I, that I like to do, I, don't, I was about to say that I used to like to do, no, but I still like to do it. I just haven't been in a while, is fishing. And, and with fishing, you would use either a bait or some type of lure. And so lure is not live bait, of course, but it could be used to, to catch fish. And so when I used to go fishing, I remember sometimes I, I used to use night crawlers and, and mealworms. And, and sometimes when I used to go with my father-in-law, we could see the fish jumping out of the water. And they still would not bite my bait. And the problem was, maybe I was using the wrong bait. But every once in a while, I would catch a fish. It, those times were few and far between. And, and so it's like that with Satan. Sometimes against many of us, he uses the wrong bait. Some of us don't bite against certain bait or lures that he may use. But there's certain bait or lures that the, that the enemy, that Satan may use, and some of us will, will bite on it. And he'll lure us into that temptation. And so the temptation itself is not sin. But giving in to temptation is sin. Biting the bait, getting caught into that temptation that is the sin. And it's just like fishing and, and the devil and demons. They know what kind of bait to use on us because they had thousands of years to study mankind, to study our lives, to know where our weaknesses are. And so they know, again, what bait to use. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But as we look at this study, some people may wonder, Why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Why would the Holy Spirit do that? It's a happy moment there. Jesus just got baptized in water. The Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And now he's leading him or led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why was that? Well, number one, that time of temptation was a tool of validation that Jesus is the sinless or perfect sacrifice so that he could truly become our savior, so that he could truly die for our sins. 
The scriptures tell us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And sinful man cannot die for himself or herself. We need a perfect sacrifice to die in our place to give us a chance to be saved. And so Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. And so that time of temptation served as uh, number one. It served as a tool to validate that Jesus is perfect, that he is sinless. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, to be a sin offering for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But also that time of temptation, and this is point number two, is that it was a tool to show Jesus' qualifications as the one we can go to for help. And all of us have people that we like to go to for help. We have experts in different type of fields that we call upon for help. If we need help with technology, we call the tech support desk. If we need help with, with our bodies, for example, we're sick, we may call a professional in the, in the medical field. If we need help with academics, we may call on a professor or a teacher. And so we like to call on experts for help with things in life. Well, well, Jesus is our expert when it comes to overcoming temptation. And so this time of temptation, again, was a tool to show that he is qualified to be an expert in this field. And because he overcame temptation... He was 100% victorious, committed not one sin, not even one sinful thought. Guess what? He can help us as well to overcome temptation. If you look in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid or help those who are tempted. And so Jesus is qualified to be our expert in overcoming sin. And so that time of temptation, again, just reviewing that second point, it was a tool to show that he's qualified to help us in that field. He's able to help us who are tempted. And maybe those of you out there who are listening on the other side of this camera, who are listening on Facebook Live, maybe you are going through a time of temptation. Maybe you've been victorious in your time of temptation. Maybe you have fallen to temptation over and over again to the same temptations over and over again, the same exact ones. Maybe you're in that place right now, but why not look to Jesus, the expert in overcoming temptation? And in looking at how Jesus overcame temptation, we can take note of some keys to victory. The one key to victory in overcoming temptation is number one, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit is the exhortation for us. He was filled with the Spirit prior to temptation. And being filled with the Spirit is only something that believers People who've repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ of the Bible, we can experience being filled with the Spirit. When we are born again, when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. He indwells us, but then we can also be filled with the Spirit. He comes upon us and He empowers us. So that's one thing we need to do. We need to be filled with the Spirit to have a chance to overcome temptation. A second thing we need to do, just like what Jesus did, is to use the word of God. It's found in the Bible, which we call the scriptures. Use the word of God. And I just want to share something with you in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape or a way out that you may be able to bear or not give in to that temptation. You'll be able to endure it because the faithful God, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to handle it. He will make the way of escape. So that we'll be able to endure it or not give in to it. 
And so the way of escape could be a little different depending on the temptation. Sometimes the way of escape to be, could be as simple as going the other way. If something is tempting you, if you, go, if you take one route, then go the other route. If every time you hang around this person or group, it, it tempts you to fall into some type of sin, then stop hanging around that person or that group. So sometimes that's the way out. It's as simple as that. Sometimes it's as simple as turning the TV off. It's as simple as that. If something on the television or a certain show is a temptation for you, it's as simple as turning on, turn it off. That could be the way of escape for some of us in some temptations. But for Jesus, as we see here, just to get back to the second point and how to overcome temptation, for Jesus, it was the truth of a timely word. He quoted from Deuteronomy when he combated the temptations of the enemy. We're going to ask the worship team to come up. And just so you can know that you can use this as well, in talking about the armor of God, Ephesians six seventeen says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So just like Jesus used the word of God, he used a timely word to fight against the temptation of the enemy. We can use the sword of the spirit as well. But if we're going to use this key to victory, if we're going to use the word of God, it implies that we know the word of God. So a question I want to pose out there is, are you in the word? Are you daily reading the scriptures? Are, do you have a personal time of devotion, of hearing from the Lord through his word? And the third key to victory that we find in our lesson tonight that we can learn from Jesus in overcoming temptation is to remember your purpose. Remember your purpose. See, Jesus is God the Son. He's the Son of God, the eternal God in human flesh. So he was a man of purpose. He didn't allow the enemy to throw him off from his purpose of going to the cross before he would come to reign on the earth in the second coming. He didn't allow the enemy to throw him off. He remembered his purpose. And so we need to remember our purpose. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is simply to glorify God. It is to honor God. So do we glorify God? Do we honor God when we give in to sin? Do we honor God when we give in to watching pornography? Do we honor God when we give in to cheating on our taxes? Do we honor God when we steal from the company? Do we honor God when we commit adultery on our spouse? Do we honor God? Do we glorify him when we have sex outside of marriage, when we give in to that temptation? Do we glorify God when we do those things? Do we glorify God when we, when we give in to that temptation of the pride of life, when the enemy appeals to that, to cause us to, to show out, to, to show how um, um, awesome we are? Are we glorifying God when we're showing out? Do we glorify him in that? Do we honor him in that? So we need to remember our purpose, key to victory, to glorify him. And then the final scripture can be found in Luke 4.13. Because it's something very important here. Especially if you experience victory over temptation like Jesus did. In Luke 4.13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, and you can underline this, until an opportune time. And so you may be victorious over the enemy, over the temptation. But rest assured on this side of heaven, even if you're victorious, he's going to come back at an opportune time. In other words, when he feel that you are vulnerable, when he feel that you are in a weakened state, when you haven't been reading the scriptures on a daily basis, when you haven't been praying daily, that that moment we, we stop it. I know it's hard to gather right now in person and worship God corporately. So maybe some of you are tempted to just not even attend church, even on Facebook Live. To even stop gathering that way, although that's not in person. So maybe you are tempted in that way. And maybe some of you have fallen into that temptation. And so the enemy may sniff that out and, and see that you're in a weakened state. And see that as an opportune time to come back in and 
The final encouragement that I want to leave with you tonight is to not let your guard down. Don't let your guard down, even after you're victorious. And praise God if you're victorious, because you cannot do it on your own. Don't let your guard down by doing what? Staying focused on Jesus, staying in the word of God. Remember your purpose. Remember who you're living for and continue to pray. Remember, Jesus was a man of prayer. The heavens didn't open and the Holy Spirit didn't come down as we remember that baptism account until Jesus prayed. It's a man of prayer. Continue to do those things. Stay on your guard. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can look to Jesus as our expert in overcoming sin and winning this battle. Lord, when our flesh, our sinful nature begins to be aroused by the things of this world, Lord, we thank you that we serve a living Savior who also serves as our high priest. And he can sympathize with us because he experienced it. And not only sympathize with us, but he can also help us. And so, Lord, we look to Jesus as our expert in overcoming this battle against temptation. And if there's anyone who has not received Christ and made Jesus your personal Savior and Lord, we want to make this, again, the last night that you say that. We want you to be sure of where you're going after you die. We want you to be sure that you know that your last breath on this side of eternity will be your first breath in eternity with God the Father. And so if you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord tonight, I'll lead you in a prayer. But if you mean it in your heart, please repeat after me. Because uh, that's when it will become real and meaningful. And if you don't mean it in your heart, then it won't do you any good to repeat after me. The Bible says that we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and will be saved. Confess Jesus with our mouths. And that's what we do outwardly, but inwardly we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So if you want to repeat after me, God, I heard your word tonight and I understand that you love me. I understand that you sent God the Son, Jesus, to die for my sins on that cross. I understand and acknowledge I confess that I am a sinner. And I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins and that Jesus will come into my heart, will come into my life. I ask him to become my Savior. I ask him to become my Lord. Now, thank you for forgiving me. 
I thank you for receiving me into your family. I thank you that I am now called your son. That I am now called your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you all for joining us tonight. May God bless you. May God keep you. We continue to solicit your prayers and we'll continue to pray for you. If there's anybody out there who received Christ tonight, we ask that you would go onto the church's website at calvaryqueencreek.org that you would fill out the form at the bottom of the home page and let us know that you received Christ and let us know if you would like a Bible. We would love to send that to you. The rest of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we love you. May God keep you. May God use you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.